If I can interrupt community again. This, I want to just introduce Simon this morning, which you might think, that, that's weird. Why would you introduce him? We all know who he is. And uh, well, this, this is Simon Gill. He's the teaching pastor here at the street. Yeah, well, let's welcome Simon. Yeah. Re- reason for doing it is that um, he's going to take us on a journey over the next four weeks. And every... Kind of like every now and then we do these sort of four week or so journeys where we want to see a significant change in us as people. Mm. And we, we go week by week and we teach through the Bible and, and you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and it's just been absolutely rich and wonderful. And, and every now and then we say, you know what, there's, there's something specific we need to really attend to as a church. Mm. We did that recently with the Uncontainable series where we challenged ourselves as to what it would look like for us to reach our city. Well, this, this series builds on that. And I just want to get up here and just just help you understand how incredibly excited I am about this and what this means for us as a church. And I know that for, for Simon and for, for me, he's been on my case for the past couple of years in terms of my personal outreach. And my life has changed because of it. And I, I, have, I have been so grateful and at times annoyed with the way that this guy has been on my case and has helped me with that. So I can think of no one better in this church to lead us through the series than, than Simon because of, well, personally speaking, I know I'm going to get challenged out of this. So would you join me in prayer? Yeah. And let's pray for Simon that he, he delivers all that, that God has for us as a church to hear. And more than that, that we listen. Yeah. And more than that, that we do. Father, would you right now anoint Simon to teach us powerfully? Would you, Father, lead him as he leads us as a church? Lord, would, would you find in us people who have hearts that are soft and minds that are open and our lives would be such that we would know your incredible grace, that we would be transformed? Father, we ask this in the mighty and the powerful and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah, it's true. I'm pretty excited about this morning and and the next four weeks as we consider what this church could look like if we leveled up, what what we look like if if we made a a profound shift. And uh, I think we need some sort of symbol, maybe, you know, level up, you know, stories come out, you know, but just something like that. Um would be really great. Did you have a good time last week? I missed it. Jerem was here though, hey? Uh, Jerem good? Um, I, I heard on the grapevine that he got, he, he, he understood something profound, that, that pastors wear collared shirts, smart jeans, slash chinos, and brown shoes. And so I'm really pleased that if he said a load of rubbish, he, he was wearing the right thing, he looked the part. And... No, that guy's cool. I love, uh, it was just great, and I'm really sad to have missed that, but I think I'm more excited this week than, than Ephesians. And anybody who knows me knows I get pretty pumped about Ephesians. I've been so uh, grateful to be teaching, uh, be able to teach through that series. But this, this is just incredible. This is profound. Let me begin by uh, telling you a little story about what's going on in my life at the moment. I, I've decided that I want to try and challenge my mind in new ways. 
and uh, you know maybe learn a foreign lang- another foreign language at some point. I don't really know any. I speak sort of Franglais um, briefly, but uh, you know maybe learn a language or something like that. And one of the things that I've thought I'd like to do is learn to play the piano. When I was younger, I, I was musical. I, um, I can read music. Um, and, uh, and, and did that for a number of years. But piano has just always been this sort of ridiculous instrument where your hands have to operate in, in, in two different ways. And where, where the music, you no longer just play one line of music, one stave. You suddenly have to try and concentrate on two. And my granddad had a piano when I was growing up. And, 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 I, and I could do some little rudiments, you know, with, with, with one hand and... Over the last year, Gracie, my eldest daughter, has been learning to play keyboard slash piano. And I've been going along to her lessons and I, and I hear and I'm like, oh, if I listen in here, I could learn something. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice. And, you know, two for the price of one, pay for her lessons and, and maybe I'll learn as well. And, 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 you know, I'm quite comfortable with one hand. I can, I can read music and, and I know what those notes are on, on, on the keys, but... It's when you come to like the treble clef and bass clef, when your right hand has to do something different to your left hand. And it's like, it just is so complicated, it makes my head hurt. I, I can't seem to understand how you could possibly begin to operate in that way. And yet, uh, there, was a, there was a piece that Gracie was playing, I thought, I really like that. And that's beginning to get where I need to go, so I'm going to practice that. And I've been annoying my family in the week before going to Asia, uh, just time after time, playing this piece over and over again, just, just one more time, just one more time, just one more time. And, and, and what I began to find was by the end of that week, I didn't even need the music anymore. I, I could play it in different styles and different tempos, and I just knew it by heart. And And I realized that I had leveled up. I realized that what was so beyond me, so inconceivable, I couldn't get my head around. And I realized for anybody who plays piano, if I was to play this piece right now, I'm not about to. But if I were, you're like, that's not not really that challenging, Simon, let's be honest. It's called the Princess Waltz. It's at the end of, (laughs) it's at the end of book one, let's be honest. (laughs) But it's beginning to get me. On towards, and, and what was difficult, what was, seemed impossible, what seemed inconceivable to me at the start of the week became a new normal. I had a new comfort zone in the area of playing piano and I realized that life is actually full of leveling up moments. Life, whatever you do and wherever you go, whatever is a part of your life, there are moments when you have to take something to the next level. For me, this last couple of weeks, it's been about piano. Maybe for you, it's having one child or another child. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new school year. Maybe it's a university exam, a subject that you began at the start of the year that you just, there's no way I can do that. And by the end of the year, you're nailing the exam. You know, Life is full of moments where we do things that, where we engage in things that seem impossible, but as we give ourselves to them, actually we, we, we take things to the next level. And level up is a, is a concept that is that, that is that around outreach. That what we want to do, I'm passionate 
And, and week in, week out, I work with leaders and I work with people, helping them to level up in their outreach, helping them to discover the ways that they, that God has equipped them and gifted them and empowered them and, and given them uh, abilities and, and given them characteristics that enable them to, to share the gospel, to share Jesus, to share the love of, and grace of God in ways that are meaningful and life-changing and encouraging for the people they're reaching out to but are natural to them. I'm not, as we think about leveling up in outreach, I'm not asking uh, any of you, I, I, I realize that some of you might want to check out. I realize that some of you are like, hey, we'll leave that to the evangelists. We'll leave that to the people who are gifted in that way. I believe that every single one of us who believes in Jesus has a story to tell, a number of stories to tell, a life to live that is distinctive, and God wants to use each and every one of us to reach out to this city. But also, not only do I want you to discover the ways that are natural to you, I want you to allow God to stretch you, to take you to the next level. Maybe there's a conversation that just seems impossible for you right now. Maybe there's a prayer that you won't pray. Maybe there's an activity or an action that, that just seems like somebody else could do that, but that is beyond me. My prayer is that we, as we respond to where God is leading us, that we would find a new comfort zone, an enlarged comfort zone, an area where we're now comfortable that previously seemed impossible for us. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to do quite a down-to-earth, quite a practical uh, series, quite different to maybe something that you've engaged with up until now with me. But, but right now, we're going to start really personally and, and, and at a heart level. So would you turn with me to Matthew 9, and we're going to look at Jesus. He's always the right answer. And uh, I've, actually, I've actually done slides today, hey? I, I have done slides. I'm going to try and follow them. And if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put the verses I'm going to read up on the screen because there aren't very many of them. Would you join me in Matthew 9, though, uh, verse 35? And we'll read. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. I just want to focus straight away on that end point where it says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The issue is not that there aren't people ready to respond to the invitation to follow Jesus. That is not the issue. Jesus says the workers are few. It's a, it's a statement that might not have directly driven our uncontainable series, but it certainly sits underneath it, don't you think? It's a conviction that there are 450,000 people in this city, we believe, who do not know Jesus, who haven't been invited to become a follower of Him, who haven't been invited to receive His love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and the free gift of true life and, and eternal life. There are 450,000 people in this city, potentially, that are heading to an eternity in hell. And on our watch as a church, that cannot ever be okay. It can't be. We believe that this city is full of people one decision away from changing their eternity. 
And we said, well, we want to take responsibility for that as a church. What if in the next five years we saw 1% come to know Jesus, to be baptized? And, and that was our vision, 4,500 over the next five years. And so we asked the question in that uncontainable series, what needs to change in me to make that a reality? And we said, well, the culture of the church really needs to change. We, not just the church as an organization, but you and me, the collection, the, 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 the gathering of the church needs to be a come-as-you-are church. Every single person needs to be welcome. Every single person needs to know that they can come with whatever their spiritual belief, whatever their mess, whatever their highs and lows, whatever their dreams and ambitions, whatever their position and state, they need to be welcome in the community of the church. And to do that, we need to become as you are. We need to drop the masks and the facades. We need to be a community that has come as you are. But we know that Jesus loves people so much that when they meet him, he doesn't want to leave them that way. He wants them to experience the life, the true life that is found in him. And so through the power of the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the, the community of the church, people become more and more and more like Jesus. And as come as you are people and as be transformed people, God is enabling us to make a difference in our world to let our lives, to be involved, to be involved in the world and to let our lives be distinctive like a light and to use the stories of God's power and God's love that are, that are throughout your life. I'm not, when we talk testimony, when I talk stories, I'm not talking about, well, I was born at a young age and, 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 and I got taken to church and then at some point I sort of followed Jesus. Like, I'm not talking about that sort of... I'm saying that is one story, but your lives are full of the stories of God's grace and love and faithfulness and mercy. And I believe that as we live in this, in this society, as we live lives of light, and as we share the stories of what God is doing in our lives and in the church community, it, it begins to bring about a reality of Jesus that seems quite far off for people. And that as people hear those stories and as they see our lives that are distinctive, I believe they are coming more and more and more closer to, hearing, to, to, to following Jesus. They're having the opportunity, the invitation to become followers of Jesus. But when we think of this, when we think of um, what, it is to be make a, what it is to be those three things, come as you are, be transformed and make a difference. You know, come as you are can, can be, hey, we can invite people into the community of the church and, 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 and we'll welcome them. Whoever they are, we'll welcome them. And, you know, that's a, that's a big step in some ways, but it's, you know, I can do that in the safety of this room. I can do that in the safety of these buildings and in the safety of my life group. I can be transformed in that context as well. But make a difference is lived out in the neighborhoods, and in the schools, and in the workplaces, among people who are actually often either ignorant of God or opposed to God in some way, and therefore opposed to the church. And so make a difference is the one that goes cold quickest. It's the one that falls off if we don't give it no focus. And so what we want to do over the next four weeks is focus on shifting, leveling up the make a difference culture of this church. And I want to introduce you to a tool that has been transformational in my life. I'm not passing on to you something that I've read in a book that I've been taught and I'm going, hey, I'm just going to pass on to you a load of information this morning. I want to introduce you to a tool that has leveled up my make a difference over the last couple of years, that has changed the way I live my life. And, and as Nick suggested, I've, I've, led, I've taken a 
a group of leaders from this church through this sort of process over the last 18 months using really practical down-to-earth tools. And, and we have seen a profound shift. I, I was meeting Josh Isaac, the guy playing drums this morning just uh, uh, on Thursday, and we were celebrating that not only did he see a profound shift in 2015, but there is another shift, another step that he has seen in his life in 2016. At the start of the year, we took, I took life group leaders through this tool. And I was reading yesterday some of the celebrations of life group leaders this year that they are becoming, they're, they're celebrating seeing a more of a come-as-you-are attitude. They are celebrating seeing people saved this year. They are celebrating baptisms. We have about six baptisms going on today. There is celebration going on. Because of the shift that has gone on in people because of this tool. And so I want to introduce you, the whole church, to this tool. And if you understand what a shift I have seen in my life, what some of the leaders in this church have seen in their lives, imagine what would happen in this city. Imagine what would happen in the workplaces and in the government buildings and in the hospitals and in the schools and in the universities and on the streets and in the neighborhoods and in the school playgrounds of this city if every single person in this church community made a similar shift. And that's what we want to look at right now. This tool, uh, without any further ado, is called the One Degree Rule. And it is a measure of outreach temperature. This is so simple. Some of you are probably thinking, this must be really complicated. It's super simple. And what we say is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where am I at right now in terms of my activity, my passion towards outreach? If you're a 1, you're, you're not spending time really with people who are far from God. You're not praying for them. Um, you're not, engage, not really caring about engaging in any sort of spiritual conversation. Maybe there's people in your lives that are not followers of Jesus. You work with them, you live near them, uh, you interact with them, but you're quite happy with them staying like that and your life staying as it is. And, you know, you can respect each other's beliefs and that's all cool. That'd be like a one. That'd be pretty cold. If you're 10, you know, you're spending time with family and neighbors and friends who are far from God. You, you, you're praying for them like there is no tomorrow. People who come across you are naturally and organically being led towards an opportunity to hear about Jesus. That would be like a 10. And this talk is a Kevin Harney talk. It came out of a book called Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. And this is the simple talk. That has had a profound effect on my life. Number one, it's subjective. It doesn't matter whether Nick, living in the same house as Sarah, says he's a five, and actually is at the same level as Sarah, who says she's an eight. That doesn't matter. It's about you making a personal assessment right now of where you're at. The second thing is that it's not about just passion. It's not saying, oh, I'm so in love with Jesus, and yeah, I really want people to know Jesus. It's about saying, as I look over the last few days, as I look over the last week or month, whatever the period of time, what activity has there been? Have I been praying for people? Have I been spending time with people far from God? Have, 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 I, been, have, have I been active in, 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 in practical things? So I want you to do that right now. I want you to take a moment and say, God, and I want you to know, first of all, this is a come-as-you-are moment. It's no good if you say, oh, you know, you say what you want to be. Where are you at right now, honestly? And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But right now, just take 10 seconds. Where are you at? Give it a number. It doesn't matter what it is. But for you, what's that number for you? 
You know, it's not about where you are right now. It's about saying, what am I going to do? Not to become a 10. You know, not to become like a Billy Graham overnight. But to say, whatever the number, if you're a 1, what am I going to do right now to take that to a 2? If I'm a 4, what am I going to do to take it to a 5? If I'm a 10, what am I going to do to take it to an 11? But where are you at right now? And what are you going to do to take that to the next level? I'm going to dive into Matthew 9 real quick. And we're going to take you through four ways that we can do that really practically. Here we go. I want you to see something in the life of Jesus. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first thing I see about Jesus in this thing, crowds come up to him. And he doesn't just see a crowd. He doesn't just perceive um, their wealth or what they're wearing or whether they're hungry or whether they're thirsty. He sees them. He sees them for who they really are. He sees their greatest need, that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do you see the people around you? Do you make lots of assumptions about about what must be going on in their life and what their perception of God must be. Are you willing to do life with them and allow God to open your eyes and see them as they really are? You know, I've encountered many people who, who seem to have so many needs and yet their heart is so hard to Jesus. And yet I see people who seem to have everything together, yet in the middle of the night... They're troubled because they know they need a savior. That was me. I was hard on the outside. People would have said, too hard, too difficult, never going to return to God. And yet they did not know what was going on in my heart in the middle of the night. I seemed hard. I seemed like I had everything together, but I was ready. Will you let God open your eyes to see people as they really are? So prayer number one in terms of raising our outreach temperature, is praying this prayer, God, would you open my eyes to see people as they really are? The second prayer is, God, would you open my heart? Not just open my eyes, but would you open my heart? This word uh, in this passage, compassion, is a phenomenal word in the Greek. I wouldn't usually tell you what it says in the Greek, but I love the word so much I just need to tell you. It's splachnizomai. Like, why do they put compassion in there? It just has no pizzazz. Splachnizomai. Okay? And you're going to love what it means as well. It means to be moved as to the depths of one's bowels. How cool is that? They had a word for that. We need a word for that. We're going to bring hashtag splat needs am I back into, the, uh, into everyday language. It means to be moved to one's bowels. But this is a really fascinating word. Okay, when you look, this word only appears in the Gospels. And it's always used to describe either Jesus having compassion or a request from somebody to Jesus, Jesus, have compassion on me. Or it's a word to do with an emotion or an activity of the God figure in a parable. So when you think of it like the Good Samaritan that cared for the needs of that person, he had compassion on them. It's that word. When you look at the prodigal son, the father who welcomed the son in open arms, did what was shameful for him and ran towards his son to welcome him, he had compassion on him. He was moved as to his bowels. 
for his son. There was a depth of feeling for his son that moved him to do a great cost to him for the sake of his son. So this word compassion is a God-centric word. It is a word that has to do with a God-like, love-induced, deep emotion for the sake of someone else. Real briefly, if you turn over to Matthew 14, okay? Jesus, this word is used to describe Jesus. It says in verse 13, when, when Jesus heard that he, what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now you might think, ordinary thing. You know, Jesus, that's what he always does. Why, why would such a deep word be used at this moment? Well, the thing is, his relative, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. This is a painful moment for Jesus. When Jesus heard that his relative, a guy who was his forerunner, had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I think he needs to process I think Jesus is hurting. I think Jesus needs to get before Father and say, God, God, help. And he doesn't even get to the solitary place before a crowd forms. And he has compassion on them. This is a profound moment. You see... This word, compassion, is this God-like, love-induced drive that moves you out of your situation and out of care for yourself to, to, to the person that is in front of you and says, your needs are greater than my own. See, I think one of the, we need this in our lives. We need to pray this prayer. I need to pray this prayer. I had to admit to our team, that this outreach team that I lead this year, do you know what? I still think outreach is in my head and it has not reached my heart. You know, you can, you can assent to outreach in your mind and say, yeah, I think it's a great thing for someone else to do. Or you can say, I feel obliged to do it because I believe it's the right thing to do. So we should do it. But there's something profoundly different. When you are moved with compassion for the sake of the person in front of you, and you say, whatever it means for me, however embarrassed I might be, however difficult this might be for me, for your sake, because of your lost eternity, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to level up. I'm going to go beyond what I need for your sake. I had one of these moments this week. Uh, for those of you who know, I've been in Thailand, in, in, in Cambodia, looking at the work of Destiny Rescue. They, they rescue kids, girls particularly, out of uh, sex trafficking. And um, just an amazing organization that, that rescues and, and rehabilitates, restores, and, and shares the gospel. And they have a ridiculous success rate above any other organization and we believe it's because of the gospel. But the thing that was most profound was I sat, one of our missionaries, one of the ladies sent from here is a, to work with them is, a, is, uh, is Nikki Parlane. Some, many of you will be familiar with her or with her work. And she showed me a, a, some of her footage that she'd just filmed in Delhi where a pastor who started rescuing kids and, and is now partnering with Destiny Rescue in Delhi, he, he explains how trafficking works. And this is horrific. And I'm not going to say what I heard. 
All I'll say is I couldn't unhear what I heard. And I didn't just go, cool. It's really important that girls are rescued out of that situation. I mentally assent to somebody else doing that. He said, I want to rescue every girl. And I didn't go, yeah, I agree with that. I didn't just say, cool, I'm going to feel obliged to jump on board with that. When I heard this situation and I heard this pastor say, I need to rescue every girl, I said, that has to happen. It has to happen now. I have to do something about that, even if this church won't do something about it. But I think we are going to do something about it, by the way. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? I didn't feel obliged. It was an obligation. I said, because of the needs of those girls, I have to do something. Regardless of what it means for me, regardless of what it costs me, their situation demands that I respond. And I think when we're willing to to let God break our hearts for the condition of people who are far from God, say, God, would you open my heart that I might be moved with compassion? I think our outreach will never be the same again. Let me finish with two quick things because I think God wants to just do something on that point. But I just want to give you two more things. Secondly, when Jesus comes across people, he always has time. Look at how many times Jesus does stuff on the way to places. Somebody calls out to him. He's on his way to heal somebody and somebody else needs healing along the way. And and he always has time for people. And if I've learned one thing about outreach and outreach temperature over the last couple of years, it's this. The biggest killer of your outreach temperature, your desire or your activity to get involved in outreach It is busyness. It's busyness. It gets in the way. I've got busy doing this and busy doing that, busy doing all the things that I need to do, and suddenly I haven't been engaging with people far from God. I haven't been praying for them and things like that. I'm cold. I'm really disappointed about the number I've got right now, and it needs to move up. Busyness is one of the big killers, and if we do not find time, to engage and reach out to spiritually disconnected people, we will never achieve what God has called us as a church to do, to make disciples, to take people, not only believers, but unbelievers, and help them become total followers of Jesus Christ. It takes time. You know, part of it is just on the way. A friend of mine um, has discovered that Just there are opportunities in the lift on the way into work. There are opportunities with a quick coffee before work just to share what's going on in his life. There there is always time on the way to things if we're open to it, if we're looking for it. I think the other thing, though, is it's going to cost me. I know that if I'm going to be engaged in outreach, if that is important to me and I have a busy life, if, if outreach is a high priority for me, there are less priority things that need to move. You know, it's inconvenient for me to meet with a guy for coffee on a Friday when that's my day off and my time with Jenny. It's inconvenient for me to to play football, sort of, on a Saturday afternoon or whatever, because that's family time for us. That's our only family day. In fact, Saturday afternoons are our only family time. But I have an opportunity to spend time with guys, and I'm like, I'm torn. There are priorities. I... It is inconvenient for me to be... I don't have time to be involved in a, in a committee of our girls' gymnastics club, but I want to be among people. And I could easily hide in the life center and prepare great sermons, and they are great, for you guys on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and that's all my life will be about, but it would be so inauthentic. 
So I have to find ways that are sacrificial to me to spend time with people who are spiritually disconnected because they have to know Jesus and God is wanting to use me and God is wanting to use you. Would you pray that prayer this morning? God, open my schedule that I might have time to spend with people far from you. Here's the final thing. God, open my mouth. God, open my mouth. I promised the team that I'd be finished early today. I won't be. Um, God, open my mouth. Jesus always responded to people. When he saw people, when he was moved with compassion, when he stopped and he took the time to spend with people, he acted He prayed for them. He brought the power of God into their life through prayer, through healing. He shared stories with them that that, that made the things of God relevant to them and natural to them and and, and tangible to them so they could engage with it. You know, stories are powerful, and we're going to talk about that in two weeks' time. You've got stories in your life that make God seem real. But here's the other thing that I've learned. Jesus also actually cared for people very practically as well. That story in Matthew 14 that we just looked at was the feeding of 5,000. Did it miraculously because he's Jesus. But here's the other thing I noticed about Jesus. He asked questions. The rabbinic culture was that you'd ask a question and respond with a question. Jesus is always asking questions of people. And there's something profound about questions. I want to demyth evangelism this morning. So many people check out because they say, I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know all the answers. So I'm going to leave that for somebody else. Or I'm going to wait until I've studied lots and I've got all the answers. If you're living life in relationship with Jesus, you've got all the answers you really need in many ways to, to, to show people what it looks like to follow Jesus. There are, there are great tools, there are, there are great things to learn that, that are helpful. But the most profound, life-changing thing that I've found in this area is the power of questions. Questions invite people to open up on a deeper level in a way they wouldn't do if we just did conversation like people ordinarily do. I'm going to make a statement, you make a statement, I'm going to make a relevant statement, you make a statement. We just sort of go back and forth. But when somebody begins to share something, if I ask a question, I invite them to open up. If nothing else, I discover something about them that I can be praying about. Ultimately, it can actually enable somebody to open up on a deeper level. This has had a profound impact on me. Even if somebody starts venting about church, I hate church, I hate Jesus, this happened, that happened, I was a sibling who died, and, 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 and now I blame Jesus for that. I blame God for that, I hate him. That's an opportunity for you to go, man, tell me about that. Man, that's rubbish. Don't feel the need to defend God. He can defend himself. Care for the person in front of you. They're a real person with real hurts. I hate church. Man, how did you come to that? What, what led you to that point? Don't defend the church. Just ask them. Yesterday, me and Al, just, we were having a conversation with a guy where he shared his spiritual beliefs with us. He shared where he was at before God. And do you know the question I asked that opened up that conversation? What brought you to New Zealand? Boys in New Zealand. Up until that point, we were just bantering about sport. He's a Liverpool fan. I'm an Everton fan. We're sort of enemies, but there we go. What brought you to New Zealand? Just question after question, and he starts sharing about where he's at. Final thing. A friend of mine, you'll laugh at this story. A friend of mine, um, a few weeks ago, I've been lamenting with the team that 
man, I've got this friend and we get on really well, but there's no spiritual conversation. It's not natural. I don't want to force it. I'm not trying to, I don't have an agenda, but I want him to know about Jesus. And, you know, and I came across this concept of asking questions and I realized how many questions I could ask him. Why'd you join the army? What, 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 when did music start for you? What was it like growing up for him? And there's so many questions just to invite him to open up on, the, on a deeper level. And he comes to me uh, uh, over a coffee after I'd been praying and lamenting over this sort of thing of just no spiritual conversation. Uh, I sat down with him for coffee and he said to me, um, he said to me, Simon, I've read a book and I, I thought of you about Rasputin. And uh, if you don't know, Rasputin, a leader in the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, pretty promiscuous. And I thought, oh, I'm wondering what the step is here, but keep going. And, uh, and he said, the interesting thing is that, that he was a bit of a nightmare, and, 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 but, he was, but, but he was protected because he was widely reported to have healed one of the Tsar's children who was uncontrollably bleeding widely documented and the writer he said the writer of this book doesn't really come down on either side he just says it's well documented now usually i'd have said oh i'm reading this or you know whatever tell me more about that book and but i just said to him tell me about that like what do you believe about that where do you come down on that side of the fence see just simple question we're just having a conversation and he said to me i don't know what do you think And I said, you know what? I shared with him a story of our pastor in the UK getting healed. I could have shared other stories that I know, that I've seen where people have been healed. I chose that one. A pastor of our church in the UK was driven into the seabed on a wave and fractured his vertebrae, was told he'd never be able to raise his arm again. And he worships like this. He worships like this because his son said, I'm not going to... I'm not going to have any sort of unbelief, Dad. Prayed for him, and, and, and his arms are like this now. And, and I said, the thing is, you, you, can, you can disagree with Jesus, but if you're going to disagree with that story, you've got to call me a liar, and you know I'm not. I didn't say that, but do you see the situation he's now in? Because I've asked a question, he's opened up, and now there's a story of the reality of God in my life. And I said, the thing is, I believe miracles are possible because I believe everything is within God's creation. Everything's within his power. It comes down to whether you believe in God or not. We carried on merrily along our way talking about it. What an opportunity opened up simply by a question. I want to ask you today, we're going to respond. Where are you at? Where are you at right now? If we are going to reach this city, it is not going to be because of me. It's not going to be because of Nick. It's not going to be because of resource we've got or anything like that. It's going to be because every single one of us understands that God has put people in your life who need to hear about him through you. And I want to invite you today to level up. I want to invite you over the next four weeks to go on a journey and let God stretch you. But right now, where are you at? You know, I believe as we respond right now, that if God is nudging you on something, if you know there's a prayer we've talked about, that you're like, that's my prayer today. I'm going to ask you to do something physical because I believe it makes what is going on inside you in your heart more real to you. So between you and God now, if you want to respond and say, God, here I am. I don't even, I don't even want to get involved in this but I really know I should and I'm willing to go on the journey. 
even if that is your most basic prayer, would you stand? We're going to pray together. God, here we are. Just as we are. With an honest assessment of where we're at right now. And we say, God, thank you that it doesn't matter where we are. But what we want to do right now is commit to the journey. To say, for the sake of this world, would you raise my temperature by one degree? Would you take me to the next level? Would you open our eyes to see people as they really are? Would you move our hearts with compassion? Not to say, I feel obliged to engage, but for their sake, they need to meet with Jesus. And I'll do something about it. Lord, would you open up our schedule? Lord God, would you open up and remove busyness from our lives? then we might engage with spiritually disconnected people. God, would you open up our mouths to tell stories, to serve, and to ask questions. God, here we are for the sake of this city. Would you move in power in our lives? I wonder right now, just in this moment, if there's a prayer in your heart you want to pray. What is it that needs to open up today?